Welcome to the latest episode of the Cardiovascular Digital Health Podcast, where we interview academics and entrepreneurs at the front lines of digital health. My name is Dr. Hamid Mbari, and I am the deputy editor of the Cardiovascular Digital Health Journal. If you like this episode and would like to support our work, please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform and leave us a review and visit our website, the Cardiovascular Digital Health Journal. like to welcome you guys to the uh, Cardiovascular Health Journal uh, series for early career um, uh, members. Uh, I'm here to, uh, I just wanted to, first of all, to introduce myself. It's uh, Andreas uh, Philippias, uh, originally from Greece. I'm, uh, I'm a, a T32 uh, cardiovascular research uh, fellow and, uh, and a digital medicine fellow. I'm working with, uh, with Dr. McManus at the University of Massachusetts Chan uh, Medical School. Uh, and I'm also completing my uh, master's in, in clinical investigation and population health research. Um, and I'm, I'm really excited to, to kick this uh, uh, series off. Um, together with us, we, we have uh, Tennis Paul. Um, uh, so if you want Tennis to introduce yourself to. All right. Thanks, uh, Dr. Philip Heiss. Uh, Andreas, it's uh, great, to, great to be here. Um, so my name is Tennis Paul. Uh, like you said, I uh, am currently a cardiovascular uh, medicine fellow, first year fellow here at UMass Chan Medical School. Uh, I went to the University of New England up in Maine for medical school, finished up there, then came down here to UMass for my internal medicine training. So I uh, finished that up in 2018, and then I stayed on in our program digital medicine as uh, as a uh, digital medicine fellow, and then completed a year of that, and, and that's how I found myself uh, joining the cardiology program here. So happy to be here, happy to discuss kind of the journey getting here, all the uh, bumps and uh, triumphs along the way also. So thanks. Of course, of course, that is, that's, that's awesome. Um, I think, uh, Dennis, maybe, maybe a good point would be to um, talk a little bit more about, uh, about our experience as, as digital medicine uh, fellows in the program. Um, I think this is, it, at, least, at, at least for me, I know it has been a very, very unique, um, uh, unique experience. We have uh, uh, both in the research arena and the, and the clinical perspective two very, very different um, and I think it gives a, a, a unique spin in that in that early career development um, as digital health is is literally exploding um, in in amidst a pandemic as well. Um, it has been uh, for me. I think the mo- most important uh, thing is that I'm able to uh, through the coursework that that we have had, we both have had, is uh, how do you put a framework to uh, doing research in uh, uh, in this in the remote monitoring space. Uh, how do you build electronic cohorts? Uh, how do you deal with with point of care technologies, um, and and apply this uh, in in a rigorous way, uh, in and essentially do you know conduct research in that in that very very unique way, um, and that pertains both to the uh, a lot of uh, Radix uh, studies. These are the uh, uh, COVID diagnostic uh, studies, as well as um, wearable devices and smartwatches, which is also something very close to my heart. And I'll, I'll probably talk about that uh, more later. Um, and then also very uh, another uh, important part is has been my clinical experience as 
um, as part of the Digital Medicine Fellowship, where um, I got to uh, basically be part of a, of a different, of a new care model, of a virtual care model, where we can um, provide care to patients that are meeting an inpatient uh, level criteria to the comfort of their home. Um, we have built this this program called Hospital at Home here at UMass um, and continue to expand the program, have uh, nursing visits in person and then uh, video visits through the, uh, through the current health platform for, for our physicians. Um, and so far the program, we have almost admitted over 500 patients with great, great results, great outcomes, uh, great patient satisfaction, great provider satisfaction, and no concerning safety signals. Um, and I think it's, uh, again, very unique and, and puts a great perspective to, I think, where healthcare is, uh, uh, is, is heading. Uh, what, what were your thoughts on the, what has your, been your, your experience in that digital medicine uh, journey so far? Oh, Andreas, great question. We, uh, you touched on so many of the uh, different things that, that I did when I was a digital medicine fellow with you. So, so to kind of backtrack for the, for the listeners, Andreas and I both joined the, the brand new program digital medicine here at UMass Chan Medical School at the um, uh, start of last academic year. So, so just over a year ago. Um, and so with this program, as you mentioned, we've been involved in research in a number of different fields within the, the blossoming realm of digital medicine. We've gotten to participate in, in, in clinical work, like you said, with our hospital at home program. So all of this has been really informative and, and transformative, I should really say, for kind of my journey along the way. Um, so, you know, I, I joined this, this program initially knowing that I wanted to ultimately uh, circle back to the, the clinical world and, and uh, specifically uh, do cardiology. And so, you know, it worked out well that a lot of our projects really do focus on, uh, on digital uh, tools that are, that are used in cardiovascular medicine. Um, you, you said a nice little pun there when you said that wearable devices are close to your heart. Uh, for the listeners, <laughs> very we, true. we've worked on a few studies that, that use wearable devices to monitor um, uh, for atrial fibrillation in patients after a stroke. And, and that's been one of the, the um, uh, big works that, that we've uh, worked with. And, and I'm sure Andres will explain a little bit more that he recently had a paper published in the Cardiovascular Digital Health Journal. And uh, so since he won't plug that, I will. Uh, so Andres, I encourage you to talk about that in a few minutes. But overall, my, my journey has been um, one of really trying to figure out how to uh, bring together two of my, my interests, which number one, cardiology, number two, the use of technology to really try to reach more people that, that may have, uh, than we would have been able to uh, otherwise. And so the specific interest I have right now, potentially, I'm still early in my fellowship, my cardiology fellowship is electrophysiology. Um, naturally, the, the use of digital uh, technologies really fits in well with EP. And so, you know, like I said, these of uh, smartwatches, it, it fits really easily there. Um, and so that's something that I got to sort of build a, a better 
uh, knowledge base of in the past year. And so uh, with that, the hope is that I can kind of bring that, that skill set into my uh, future clinical practice, uh, future academic work as well. The, um, the, uh, some of the projects that we've worked on, as uh, Andreas mentioned too, have been related to the hospital at home program that we have here. Um, we admit these patients who are sick enough to be in the hospital uh, to their own home. Uh, as as uh, as you might be able to imagine, some of these patients have needs for uh, telemetry and, and close cardiac monitoring. And so part of what we worked on, too, was how do we safely uh, find a way to uh, monitor someone's heart rhythm uh, remotely and act on any uh, abnormalities that might come up. And so that was, that was uh, not so much a research piece, but an operations piece that I got to be a part of. Uh, the reason I, I bring all these up is because I think that being a digital medicine fellow uh, really kind of gives you the opportunity or at least gave me the opportunity to uh, learn about the use of technology in uh, practical clinical applications like in our hospital at home program and also in an academic way. Um, and so it's, yeah, it's, I think it's been fantastic and, and sort of integral to my career trajectory. Really, it's changed the trajectory that, that I'm on uh, completely. And like you mentioned at, at the beginning of the podcast, we're, we're sort of at this time where technology is creeping into everything we do. You know, there's a lot of concern about whether or not this will be overwhelming and make our work as clinicians more challenging or if it will um, go the other way and kind of help us to treat our patients better, meet them where they are. Um, and so yeah, that, that remains to be seen, but I think uh, you and I probably are more on the optimistic side of that conversation. Definitely. And if, if I may add tennis, I think the, uh, just to build, to build up to your point, the, the, what I've found the most, you know, through the coursework, the coursework we're doing, the, uh, the, the discussions we're having, you know, with, with Dr. McManus, with all the, the faculty, I think it's more that uh, the more important part and what I keep is a framework to understand that we need to identify an unmet medical need and then you need to develop, you know, a digital solution that is always in that approach that is always patient-centered in, in, in a cultural competent, culturally competent way um, to get the final outcome, which is, you know, improving clinical outcomes. I think it's not, it's very easy to be carried away by a, a cool gadget or a cool, you know, technological advancement. But at the same time, um, I think we establish very well of what is the solution we're looking for that adds value to all the stakeholders, whether that is a patient, whether that are that is a family member, whether that is a tech company, whether that is an academic institution. And I think that's something that we uh, we learn pretty well. You know, many, many times you and I have both talked of we get all of this information and how is this information integrated into an electronic medical record system? Who is responsible for that information? What about fatigue from all of that information? Um, so I think uh, the, the way we're approaching this, that we're using technology more than anything to 
to bridge, uh, you know, disparities that are there, to bridge uh, inequalities that are th- that are there uh, in many many different ways. Whether that means you know providing the uh, the technology to the participant of your research study or to the patient that you see in the clinic or informing them on how do you use the technology in the most appropriate way, um, I think is very unique, is very different. And, and to me too, as uh, you know, earlier in my career compared to you as an aspiring um, cardiology fellow, I think is, is very important to know, uh, particularly in the field of cardiology, because it's so well connected and interconnected with the digital uh, space of um, how do you use those tools responsibly? And in, in what do you, when you uh, approach the different solutions, what is the better one? What is the best one you should be using? Um, so I think I think you're bringing up uh, great, great points so far. That's that's great, Andres. I'm I'm really glad you said that because I, as I talk to, as I'm sure you do too, talk to a lot of people about what this digital medicine fellowship is or was for me, is for you. Uh, and, and kind of some of the work that we do, the immediate thought is, oh, this is, you know, people either think this is AI that's going to replace them and take over their jobs or that it's a technology that's available to the, um, the people who have the most resources and not so much to the people who don't. But I think you're absolutely right. You know, it's easy to be enamored by the newest technology that comes out or um, the newest gadget, as you say, but but really, some of what we do is centered around using simple technology to to bridge gaps that uh, have always been there. You know, I I'd, I'd like to uh, give a special shout out to uh, Dr. Athena Phyllis Mikas over at Scripps. Um, she's uh, she's an endocrinologist there uh, who has worked on multiple projects in the past. Uh, centered around the use of SMS uh, text messaging. So very simple technology has been around for a long time to reach underserved um, populations, uh, especially Latino populations in the Southern California area to help optimize their uh, diabetes management. Uh, I you know, was lucky enough to work on a, a perspective piece for CVDHJ with her, uh, just sort of describing some of the projects that she's worked on. And it's, it's incredible the things that we can do with simple technology that's implemented in, in a responsible way. Um, not saying that we're perfect at it and we, you know, we make mistakes along the way. And, and of course the newer technology eventually becomes more widely available. And so all of that is important too. But I, I like that you're highlighting that. Definitely, definitely. Um, so I think switching gears a little bit and in, in, uh, um, talking about the uh, project that we, we both have worked on um, uh, getting uh, published now on CVDHJ about the uh, wearable devices and, uh, um, and smartwatches and what is the impact of, of this in the, in the psychological health of participants. Um, I think uh, taking a step back for uh, listeners to recognize things that we, the we all know uh, paroxysmal AFib is is a is a well known cause of cryptogenic stroke. Probably about one in five uh, people would would have this. We know that it's ischemic strokes that are relating to AFib have a higher morbidity, have a higher mortality, have a higher cost relating to complications. 
Um, and we do know that a population-based uh, AFib screening might potentially mean earlier initiation of anticoagulation and then improved, improved outcomes. That is not totally and clearly shown. Um, and that's why I think there's a lot of room to discuss about that of how do you do that uh, screening and, and what are the benefits or the harms potentially of doing that screening. Uh, we know that we need better tools to detect AFib. Um, uh, luckily for us, we also know that there's always there's a steady increase in the amount of technology and wearable devices that people work. So adults over 50, it seems that about 40%, 50% approximately are actually using wearable devices and smartwatches. So definitely a very um, a, a very suitable uh, way to use uh, a wrist-worn, basically wearable device um, to screen AFib might facilitate that um, uh, that that screening over a longer duration period of time, even when we're trying to detect less frequent AFib episodes. Um, so I think another an approach to this is more. Um, Great. I'm giving smartwatches to people. Usually a smartwatch would alert you to a possible rhythm abnormality or a possible AFib detected. Um, does that come with the price? Does that create anxiety to those participants? Does that um, affect their physical health or mental health, their engagement with, uh, with uh, the service team, the wear time of, of the smartwatch? Um, I think to get more into this and, and answer the question, we used um, data from the PulseWatch study. This is a randomized uh, control trial. It has two phases, including about 120 participants. Um, in the first phase, we had participants in the intervention and control arm monitored for a possible AFib development over 14 days. Intervention arm had a smartwatch and a patch monitor, which is a gold standard right now in, the, in an outpatient setting compared to a controlled arm, which only had uh, the patch. Uh, and then we get into the into phase two, where we re-randomize those participants again to the intervention and control arm, with the intervention participants being offered the continuous use of a smartwatch for an additional 30 days, uh, and with, with our aim there to just detect more of the adherence to the smartwatch and do if people do wear this uh, and do use the smartwatch. Um, so at the next step, we, we took all participants across both faces that used the smartwatch and we grouped them into those who received alerts and those who did not get any alerts. And after adjusting for all uh, different confounding variables uh, and performing uh, repeated measures, linear regression models in this uh, post hoc analysis, we found that receiving alerts was actually associated with uh, lower perception of physical health of, of those participants, which might be um, uh, a signal and something something to definitely think about or um, offering the appropriate education to participants when you're thinking of prescribing um, a smartwatch. Uh, recognizing, obviously, that this is uh, a, a smaller sample size. Uh, we're talking about individuals um, uh, that had a cryptogenic stroke, as, as we said. So it's somewhat a question of how do you safely generalize this to um, uh, other participants, uh, but I think definitely a, a signal to think about. We did not show increased anxiety, which is also a pretty, uh, a pretty important thing. We didn't show reduced anxiety either, but um, uh, I think we can, we can talk about that more. Um, and I, I just was wondering, what are, what are your, your thoughts so far on the, on the work that we've done, both on the 
um, uh, alerts affecting the psychological health, smartwatch prescription. Um, I know we have some other thoughts about false alerts or how do we um, how do we basically prescribe smartwatches in in uh, uh, older populations? You know, populations that would be affected um, uh, uh, by cerebrovascular events. Yeah, Andres, I, th I think you you're asking all the right questions, and, and I think the paper really. Uh, highlights how how many questions there still are that are unanswered about how do we safely and most effectively implement uh, something like a smartwatch for atrial fibrillation monitoring in the clinical setting. That's what we don't have data on right now, and and that is part of what we're trying to figure out. You know, who is the best possible uh, target? population that we should be aiming to prescribe these watches to if if we get to that point, which I would argue we will be getting to that point, if not already there. And so I think this, this helps to kind of uh, show a couple of things. One, is it the watch itself, is the, the prescription of the watch that, that brings these people anxiety or makes them feel like they're less healthy? Um, or is it getting these alerts and the and the sort of entire um, context in in which they're getting these alerts on the watch? Uh, you can imagine that if if a uh, if an older person who's already had a stroke and, and suffered the consequences of an arrhythmia is getting alerted by their watch to hold still, you may have something that we need to look into that you know that may change their perception of their health, uh, which is understandable and and an interesting finding. An interesting signal, as you put it. <clears throat> the um, the other way to uh, kind of um, think about this would be you know, the uh, the prescription, the actual process of prescribing these watches. Uh, are patients being uh, told exactly what to look for, exactly how to use these devices? Um, are they getting the full uh, background of, of, of what they should be worried about, what they shouldn't be worried about. All of that, you know, if it's delivered in a holistic way, um, may uh, mitigate some of these uh, findings, some of these concerns. We don't know that for sure, but that's part of the, the um, interest uh, in, in looking at some of these questions. So, so well stated. Definitely, definitely. Um, um, Excited to keep uh, finding uh, new new ideas and new, uh, new new possibilities, both in that and that database and and, and, and other studies and in other um, uh, you know moments of our of, of our of our path and, and our journey so far. But I think it's again very very unique of the um, uh, the digital medicine uh, fellowship, especially if you're doing it at the um, at the right place. Yeah, uh, absolutely. You know and. And um, you know, I, I see that we've just got a couple of minutes left here, but you know, there there may be other trainees listening in here, and and um, I know that we're in the midst of our journey, still long way to go. But if you were to offer any advice to to um, trainees now that might be interested in doing something similar to what you're doing. So what what would that be? Sorry to put you on the spot here. No, 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 definitely. I love the the, the question. Um, I think you know the the my whole view on this uh, essentially started by um, 
I'm a, I'm a clinician, I'm an internist, uh, I'm always thinking about digital health and how to use technology to fix issues that we know. How do you better provide clinical care? How do you uh, do research in an environment where digital studies, sightless studies uh, are, are really uh, pertinent? And in the middle of all this, COVID hits and essentially blows this out of proportion and, and forces people to be actually thinking about those things. Um, so I think it was absolutely, you know, being able to, to put a framework to this um, has been uh, one of the best decisions. Um, the I think it opens up um, a great potential because the uh, particularly cardiology in, in the future is so heavily intersected with the with digital medicine and digital health. Um, and, and having that knowledge is um, uh, is, is definitely uh, very good and and, uh, and unique in, in what we do. That's great. Yeah, thanks for thanks for sharing that. You know, the the one piece I would give you know just very very briefly you know, to um, to quote our mentor uh, Dave McManus. Uh, I'm I'm a simple I'm a simple guy. So here's here's what I have to say. Uh, I would just I would just push any trainees that are still trying to find their way forward, uh, find the path forward to uh, stick to what you're interested in. If you're interested in something, other people are too, and you'll find those people. Um, be open to uh, pursuing you know, unexpected detours on your on your road because they'll definitely come. Uh, that's how I ended up in digital medicine, and I, I couldn't imagine uh, studying and spending time in, in any other, uh, unexpected realm. And so, you know, it's, it's been tremendous. And, uh, and I know that, uh, you all do well if you do that. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Thank you for, for having us guys. Yep. Big thank you to the, uh, CVDHJ team. We're, uh, grateful to, to be able to spend some time with you tonight and, uh, and take care.